0: fm to get started tonight we examine the finale of the chernobyl miniseries with high courtroom drama the likes of which you can usually only see on perry mason or possibly judge judy and uh, also we talk about the power of lies and of course the power of the kgb and we'll figure out what vichnaya Pamyat means the chernobyl after show starts now you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Just kidding. Everyone knows what Vichnaya Pamyat means. Uh, I, I, I don't even know if we should talk about it. It's so clear what it means. Uh, it, it, you know, we didn't even have to Google search it. We all know that uh, apparently means eternal memory. And I don't know about you, Jeremy and Julana, but uh, I will uh, cherish the eternal memories of doing this after show with the both of you. Uh, it's uh, it's sad that it's at an end, but of course nowhere near as sad as anything covered in any of even one <laughs> of second of this entire show. But uh, it's great to uh, be here. I'm Christian Blatt. Joined as always by...
1: I'm Jeremy Dan, professor at USC Marshall Business School.
2: And... Hey guys, I'm Julana Dizon.
0: Professor of what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Professor of Chernobyl after show. Well, you are now. <laughs> <Yeah>. you <know? laughs>
0: five short weeks ago, you're like, I don't know, atomic scientist.
2: Um, let's
0: uh, let's talk a little bit about this episode. I think that this has a very different feel. Uh, you know, there we we delve into the stakes and the causes, and it's uh, it, you know, there's there's tragedy even in this episode. It just it has a different feel. What did you think about this episode, Jelana?
2: I was slightly sad that the show was ending, but it I you know we've obviously been waiting so long to yeah. this is what everybody wants to know. everybody wants to know what happened that made it explode. So satisfied and sad was how I felt.
0: And what about you, Jeremy?
1: Uh, I was impressed. Uh, very quality show with a lot of important. Meanings that we're going to talk a lot about yeah. in this show. Uh, it, just a thank you to HBO and everyone that, that put that out there. And really Im- impressed as well by the storytelling method. I thought it was a really interesting approach. This, this actually had both the beginning of the story and the end because the really interesting use of flashback that was, was really key to our understanding of the whole, uh, all the reasoning behind
0: this. It was very effective the way that the episode started with a flashback to, I think the assumption is earlier in that day where we just see everyone going about their lives, people that we've seen you know, how uh, terribly their lives were impacted. And, you know, there are quite a few of them are people that are no longer with us by this point in the story. Uh, and, and if you want to be even more morbid about it or not with us at this point, 30 some odd years later in real life. Uh, but uh, so I thought that that was very effective. And yes, the flashbacks, seeing the series of events go into motion and as it's talked about, the fact that uh, Legasov makes the point for sort of the fundamental problem, which we will talk about later. But before you get to the point where that problem doesn't compensate for the other problems, you get to just everyone wanting to cut corners and being lazy and sort of this this test that they needed to, to get done. And uh, I thought... Uh, it was interesting to see the, you know, it was kind of implied even in the first episode. You can tell by the way people were acting. It's like, OK, it's this guy's fault. These people realize what they did because they followed the orders, you know, but they actually see all of it. I thought it was great. What did you think, Jeremy? So first of all, I don't think the
1: people that we would find it fault viewed it as being lazy. I think they viewed it as really accomplishing the party goals and their goal with, with energy when they were working on that uh, test because they ultimately, a big part of having the test is proving the glory of the Soviet state and the efficiency of their planning and all that. So they probably thought they were model, uh, model Soviets when they were having all those discussions at the beginning were talking about Burkana, Fomin and Dyatlov.
0: Well, yeah, beginning. I think Dyatlov in particular is the one who's, you know, he's like throwing the manual at the guy that say, you know, it's like, yeah, review this, you know. I, I think oh, yeah. he knew what, what he had done and it was, it was arrogance because we see him, you know, he wants to, you know, he wants to be considered for boss, you know, this was all him trying to carry yeah. favor with the higher-ups but not really wanting to get the work done you know uh it's uh i I thought uh i thought it was it was he more than anyone it was interesting uh to to see you know his actions leading up to it
1: Uh, well it was two different stories between that afternoon meeting between the three executives and then what happened when all hell broke loose so two separate flashbacks
0: Um, And in this episode, Julana, we actually see the explosion and we see all the things that, you know, had been alluded to and commented on, you know, just the sort of the way that the ground was shaking and all that. Uh, Talk about just your impression watching, you know, the job they did in kind of recreating the accident itself.
2: I found it very interesting and eye opening to be able to see all those parts of the reactor, what they actually looked like. Because up until this point, we've just seen smoke and pieces on the ground of sure. things. So I never actually knew what it looked like in real life or what the other ones look like today. So I thought that shot um, where you see it right before it explodes, the top of it when the pieces are moving up and yeah. down.
1: Right. Uh, to attach the control
2: rods. I thought that was mm-hmm. so interesting. Um, so I really liked that they showed all those different parts of and, you know, where all the characters were. During that whole second-by-second um, second replay.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought, uh, I thought the, the actually seeing it. You know, I mean, look, it's uh, not that this you get the impression that this was a cheap show, but uh, up until this point, but the, those those sequences are very expensive. You know, the, the explosions and all that that thing, and I think they did a great job, and I think it was very effective to have us not see it until this one. You know, I think you could have definitely done a linear telling of the story where we see that in episode one, but I thought that this reveal worked so much better.
1: I I do too. I think the reveal of the families and the idyllic situation in uh, the town of of Pripyat was well done at this point where you sort of know what happened and you see uh, Ludomilla looking at her husband Vasily kind of being really good with children in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I think then also seeing the meeting with Fomin and Brukhanov and Dyatlov and we see the different incentives. We know a part of it is the possibility of promotion. Uh, I mean, mean, it seems like getting promotion would not lead, lead you to endanger so many people, but we yeah. kind of understand the psychology of it. And also um, an interesting part for me was uh, just the, the explicit mention of Sitnikov. Now, we might not remember him, but Diatlov was actually maybe going to be up for the next promotion with Sitnikov, right. who is someone, he's the person that he ended up sending to look over the edge in the first episode, where we know he essentially... Gained uh, fatal radiation poisoning in five seconds looking over the edge.
0: Yeah. uh, And uh, yeah, it's there are so many moving pieces. I I would love to have the time to watch the uh, at least the premiere again, because I think that what we saw in this episode will really kind of you'll be better informed watching it and and, and, uh, kind of being able to fill in. Uh, some of those areas. Um let's talk about the uh importance of the KGB which is uh clearly on display at uh, two points in this episode. Uh very early on mm-hmm. when we get to the uh the present day of March 1987. Uh, and, uh, Legosov is, uh, you know, he ends up in the car with our uh, KGB friend who I don't know if that's on our cheat sheet, uh, that gentleman, but, uh, um, <laughs> we, uh, but you know what, he's the KGB, so he doesn't want us to know his name. And it, it, we see that, uh, I guess in Vienna, he told the party line and he didn't speak out because when last we left the story in episode four, there was the notion that that was the time to do it. In fact, that's what Ulana told him. Uh, so he it basically it's saying like you're a good Soviet, you did a good job for the party, this is great you just got to do it one more time you're a good company man, this is going to be great. Were you at all disappointed, uh, Julana in the fact that uh, Legasov didn't take that opportunity in Vienna to kind of tell the world what had happened?
2: Yeah, I was disappointed Um because Kamiok was setting it up as this was your shot to tell yeah. the world. But kind of what we touched on at the end of our show last week, too, was that he has a lot of reasons to not want to upset you know the soviet union like his family and everything like that
0: which now at 5 episodes in there's n- there's no real indication of him having a family so it's something that they've left out of the story which look you cut things out for time but i think that would really yes. have added to the weight of mm-hmm. what he did and did the struggle because now it's just like well, is he trying to save his cat
2: <laughs> you know
0: uh, sorry, but what were what were you going to say?
2: Right. I just um, – that's how I felt about that. But then I also really liked in this episode how Kamir came back and she was telling him there's – you know, she was talking about another jury of scientists that were going to be there. So I think that played a big factor in him deciding to tell the truth because even, you know, that they said it wasn't going to be accepted by the state. There were still people in that room that heard it, whether or not it was going to be officially accepted – You can't take back hearing something and having subconscious thoughts about it.
0: Right. I mean, and that's just uh, not to go too far down a rabbit hole, but that's the whole point of when you're in a courtroom and something gets stricken from the record. Well, it doesn't really matter because the people in that room heard it, Mm -hmm. especially if it's a jury trial. What were you going to say? Well,
1: really quickly, what was interesting about especially what we saw from the newspaper headlines that were, were shown in that car is that he actually did tell some truth. So the easiest way to hide a lie is to hide a lie with just enough truth. Sure. And he probably did come across as someone revealing a lot more than than Soviets might be expected to at that time about some of the fail-safes that had gone wrong and uh, a lack of uh, training and operator error. So he was viewed as being honest about that, yet did not bring up the part about the fatal flaw in the design itself, which would cost probably billions to create and show that Soviet science, as it had been designed in decades before this kind of reactor, had not won out. Um, it was easier to blame individuals and a little bit of training and be honest about that. And that they, there were mistakes there. But ultimately, still, he did hide the design flaw.
0: And when he's speaking with the what uh, the assistant director of the KGB, gossip. Legasov- mentions that you know he uh, he understands his his duty to the state the Soviet Union but there hadn't been any of the improvements changes so i think that a deal hadn't necessarily been made but there was the expectation like you know i, I don't i don't mind yeah. lying to the rest of the world that's fine we're soviets that's what we do but i think he was frustrated that they didn't do anything well, about it because
1: sherbina said we'll make a deal yeah. and Komiok said you're goofy, that's yeah, yeah, not gonna happen. You can't make a
0: deal with this with the KGB. That's yeah. where the
1: quote came from again, a very powerful quote from the KGB assistant director. We will have our villains, we will have our hero, we'll have our truth. After that, we'll deal with the
0: reactors, right? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I think it, it, it's it's another one of those things that nags at him, and it goes back to, I guess, that's the second episode. Where they're in the meeting with Gorbachev, and no one needs to say anything, and then the you know the meeting convenes, and then we see Ligasov is like no, and he like pounds on the table, and he you know that's really what starts the the revelation of the cover up and the mistakes. So we kind of I think that's a very similar moment when he's like we're we're not getting the uh, we're not getting the improvements. Um, do you, uh, Jolanda, do you feel like? They did a good job conveying Legasov's frustration before we even get into the courtroom. The fact that he's basically done what he's been been ordered to, really. But uh, the situation isn't going to be any better for, I think he says later in the episode, the the 18 reactors in the Soviet Union.
2: Yeah, this brings me back to the scene where him and Legasov are talking. We were talking about this earlier, where he finds the caterpillar. Yes. Um that scene really touched me because it's kind of the first scene where you see them sort of having a friendship, not just a working partnership. Right. And I actually um, heard in an interview that there was a photo of them um, laughing together like they were friends. So I think this scene in this episode really conveyed to everyone in the audience that they're, they had some more personal friendship feelings towards each other that was more than just business. Um So I think what he was revealing there to Legasov was, you know, he was kind of saying, I'm an inconsequential man and just feeling like you said, like everything that he's done doesn't really matter because changes aren't going to be made.
0: Yeah, I I think uh, that's what really weighs on him. And we 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 know what he does ultimately because we see it in the first episode that uh, I think that the. The only way to uh, make sure that everybody knows what happened is, you know, he ultimately uh, has to kill himself. But we have a better feeling, Jeremy, as to the, the state of mind that went into that because we see his hair falling out and we're getting the sense that, you know, his health is not what it should be. Uh, and then also with shrebina we hear him you know, coughing quite a bit throughout the course of the episode. Uh, so talk a little bit about how much that must have gone into his decision making about you know taking his own life as we saw in the the series premiere.
1: What's inter- he had the line the episode before about I've already given my life isn't that enough and Komiok flat out said no it's not and I actually think he had He was of the mindset to do what he was going to do in the scene where we foresee his hair fall out, because there are so many scenes in movies where people have been exposed to radiation or they're getting uh, cancer treatment or other things. That first emotional scene where they look at their hair and their hand is trembling because they have their hair in their hand. He pulled it out, put it on the table. Pulled it out a little more, hand on the table, put it in the sink. Um, I thought he was resigned and and also almost empowered at that moment. Knew what he was going to do. Um, I forget the order in the episode, but they Komiok did talk about him uh, saying, you know, they can't function without us, the scientist. And you're Valery Logosov, and you mean something. Uh, you are the one person that could do this. And I think that and some other things started to make him believe it. And, and also just that really moving scene where she goes, here are my notes and here are the ones from the ones still alive. And here are the ones from the ones who are, are dead. And I think the combination of all those things gave him the resolve. I don't think it was something in the courtroom. I, maybe the final thing that pushed him over was his conversation with, with Sherebina so that their work He would know it would have value in the end. Um, I I think it was really powerful and, and again, a real moment of resolve from someone we hear later should have been towing the party line. It looked like he was. He was a good party man. His father was a great party man. And this was a, a journey that we saw him go on and successfully end.
0: Uh let's talk about the uh, the trial itself which uh it is characterized as a show trial and I think that uh it is a trial designed for there to be scapegoats uh, namely uh Detlov uh Bryonankov, and Fomin and I would say that the you know the term scapegoat often implies people who are not at fault I would say these are people who are at fault it's just unbeknownst to them, the, there is, of course, something that was supposed to prevent this that uh, that they didn't know. So it's like the screw up is their fault, but there should have been this safety net. And that's sort of a, a very telling moment we have when Detloff is actually egging on Legasov, you know, because so – I, I don't know that we need to delve. I think they did a great job of making it interesting how a nuclear reactor works with all the cards and everything. I thought it was good, but I, I don't know. I don't know how much to dissect that just for myself. If there's anything that stands out, uh, feel free to jump in. But I do want to start. We can work backwards from that moment, uh, Juliana, when uh, Detlove just knows there's something. And he's like, he's basically egging him on. And it's like, well, you know it. Just say it. You know, what did you uh, what did you think about that level of of sort of drama in that moment?
2: Uh, I think it was setting the stage to kind of push Legasov to subconsciously set up to tell the truth, because he obviously didn't do it in Vienna, but he's been struggling back and forth with what's the right thing to do and and what do I personally want to do? So So you
1: think that the Dyatlov egging on was a part of his decision making?
2: I feel like it was a part of just putting the elephant in the room, like making it a very awkward atmosphere. Because if Dialov is pointing at him saying, you know something, then people are wondering, does he yeah, know does something? He know? Why is he talking about that?
0: Right. I think he had already made the decision, but you that doesn't mean you're still happy to dive into it. You know, you can definitely get cold feet and be like, am I, am I really about to do this? Um, and I, I, that that's really the thing. I mean – Detlef, on the one hand, is clearly guilty of something. He's like, yeah, but I'm not the only one guilty. But I did, of course, enjoy his explanation. I wasn't even there. I was in the toilet. It's just like, yeah, I wasn't there. So, you know, everybody says you were there. It's like, can I tell you? I really had to go. Which, they're uh they're all dead. There are, yeah, there. Are, that's true. There are very few funny moments in this entire series, but uh, that that was one that got a laugh out of me. Uh, what do you think about the way that uh, Detloff carries himself uh, in the courtroom scenes, Jeremy? First of all,
1: want to jump back just to sure. the, the term you use, which is show trial. Yeah. So just to make sure in the United States, we haven't been exposed to the concept of, as a, of a show trial like in some other countries. We certainly have our trials that have become media circuses. But our, our judicial system works differently than a lot of other countries where – Prosecute where where there's not the judicial separation often with what we might call an executive branch or executive authority prosecutors. Are- well,
0: and and also taking into consideration that the presumption of innocence until proven guilty is is very far from a universal truth. In fact, right. the burden of proof is very often on the defendant. Yeah. And it is very often in a situation where you're given no opportunity to defend mm-hmm. yourself.
1: So so where we think we might understand the term of a show trial, it's actually still a little bit of a different concept. It might be the com- almost a combination of trial plus Senate hearing, as we right. think about it. For a lot of political purposes and uh, other forms of government have used it more as a, a, a tool in the past than I think we have in this country. But yes, Dyatlov was just frankly impressive in this. He was not cowed. He, he w- himself was resigned. We have the, the line from, it was one or two episodes before where he talked about, he, he essentially talked about, I'm already getting the bullet, which we know he did not, but he didn't know that then. Um, you were saying a, a great move or a bold move to call out, uh, they're holding back. They're holding back. Um, they know it wasn't just us. He, uh, was surprising. You think people would be cowed in an environment like that, but he he showcased both his uh, his strength, his bullheadedness, his his uh, uh, words. I, I'm not supposed to use from I heard from our training. I mean, he just was a was a bastard. Sure. And I think you know if you listen to the author of this on some of his interviews, he really did portray him as such because I think he he probably had a respect for his strength and his bullheadedness. But I think he references that the accounts that he saw really paint him as a very disagreeable person that uh, had a lot of responsibility here.
0: Uh, we, uh, I alluded to it a few minutes ago, uh, but Julana, we have the actual moment where uh, Sherbina has basically the coughing fit and he goes outside. And then that is, where we have this surprisingly tender and genuinely affectionate moment between Legasov and Shurbina. Uh and they kind of both talk about the you sort of the sacrifice. You know, it, it's mentioned earlier in the episode. Legasov says this idea that he um, he went. Willingly into an open reactor, basically, and that should be enough sacrifice. But he also talks about how they could not have done it without Sherbina, which we'll see more of in a moment. But uh, talk a little bit about watching that interaction and uh, some of your thoughts watching the two of them together.
2: Right. And I apologize. I must have got confused earlier because – that's what I was talking about earlier. So <laughs> I thought no, no, you were no, talking no, about okay. something else. <laughs> no, 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 no.
0: I, I'm talking about it now because I, I did reference it before. But this okay. is it. Sort of takes away from it, it's like a break in the trial, and they have this moment, and I, I, to me, Lagasov saying that you did the things that no one else could have done. It's like you know any scientist could have done what I did, right? But we needed you to actually make this happen. And do you think that that kind of inspires sherbina to, to stand up when uh, Lagos is about to tell the truth? That, yes. That's a, the aspect of it that I thought we should uh, focus on now.
2: Right. Yeah. I 100% think that that inspired him. Um, like I was saying, this is the first time that we really see tender feelings between them. Yeah. Um, and it was touching. I Probably one of my favorite moments of the series, but... You know, Legasov was saying how they got sent the one good guy. And yeah. he referenced that. He said um, that Sherbina gave them everything they needed. Anything that Legasov asked for, Sherbina made sure that it happened. And he was the one that had the connections and could pull the strings to get those things that Legasov was insisting that they needed to take care of the reactor. So I think it was a really good partnership where... In in both cases, they both needed each other.
1: Lagasse said, "They heard me, but they listened to you, right? which, yeah. which was really powerful. And I mean, I had seen tre- uh, uh, traces of that friendship, and and them realizing they were really productive together. And they they've bonded in a way I think people bonding in combat. You know, the, the the country boy and the the kid from Brooklyn and the uh, you know whomever that in, mo- in movies and sure. war movies you don't think are going to bond and then they become friends and they found themselves complimentary. In the end, they have been through combat and they have the injuries to show for it and they're both going to die because of it. And that really made them sympathetic.
0: Yeah, I mean, the stakes in terms of the uh, potential loss of life associated with what they're doing, I mean, are higher than, you know, any conflict that we've seen in a film, I mean, for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's very... And just to think about their initial uh, interaction, you know, when he has them explain to, you know, when uh, uh, Sherbina asks Legasov to explain how a nuclear (laughs) reactor works, he's like, great, now I don't need you. (laughs) So uh, I thought... uh, that was great and then well, don't we, forget
1: that I'll, I'll throw you from the plane if you, yes <laughs> i'll throw you, you i thought that it.
0: was great too uh the the key moment that we're sort of talking about now is we we have you know debt encouraging him and the, you know he's about to say the he it's very clear that he's about to say something and that's when everybody tries to be like no 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 we don't need any more out of you uh that's all right you're excused and it takes it just shows the importance of who Shabina is, is that when he stands up and says, let him talk, everybody's like, all right, we just needed, we need somebody who was the boss uh, to, you know, somebody of authority said this now it's not our responsibility. And it, it seems that so much of this series has revolved around. I don't want to be in trouble for this. I didn't I, It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. So they're able to pass the buck and they do let him speak and uh, I do think, as you referenced Jeremy, it's very powerful his his testimony that it does come down to because it was cheaper. You know, it's the the point that we had explained to us. I think it was just last week that the it had those graphite tips uh, in, instead of just boron going back into the uh, into the reactor, and that's and because it's cheaper. Uh, so um, I, I just because it's such a Pivotal moment in the series. Uh, I I just wanted to take a minute for each of us to talk about it. Uh, Julana, you first. uh, Just sort of watching Legasov just have this impassioned plea for what had happened and and why it shouldn't have been allowed to happen.
2: Well, I think what I got out of this scene also before he made the point that it was because it was cheaper was at first he made the point that everywhere else in the world – Y- you know takes the more expensive route because sure. of safety yeah so he lists all the countries and you know he was kind yeah. of like you know this is the reason because we're cheap and everyone else is spending the money to ensure the safety and
0: i don't think jeremy that that's a an argument that uh, would be exclusive to the soviet union you know uh, i know on this very show we talked about Oddly, it happened the same year, the uh, the Space shuttle Challenger disaster that happened at the beginning of 1986. and those Senate hearings, and it was just very simple uh, what they called the O-rings that when they got cold, I think they expanded and it's like so that's what happened. So it's these little things, these little graphite tips, just little things like that. So it, you know the parallel is, is kind of fascinating that it's the same year and it's not literally the same mistake, but it's the same sort of oversight. Uh, th- it was not oversight, lack of oversight, I guess, that uh, caused the same thing. Um, what do you think about watching all of that, you know, just kind of having Jared Harris there as Legasov, you know, just bringing that all home for us?
1: Uh, I think that would have been, you know— the it'd be interesting to see the same kind of show about the challenger inquiry that'd be that'd be fascinating in and of itself uh,
0: Jer- i'm surprised it hasn't happened by the way i mean the, you know the story of yeah. all the astronauts but there's a school teacher on that trip i mean mm-hmm. that the, you know that alone the, that it is surprising you're right um when he also
1: referenced the fact that not only was it this uh, this cost saving, which you might be able to excuse, the Soviet Union was playing catch up in a way with the Western countries and especially the United States. They had had a lot of victories doing it their way. They believed in their science and their scientists. The the Soviet state um, paraded them out and their achievements, especially in space and some other areas. And ultimately, though, when he talked about that, you know, essentially no one knew the AZ, the AZ five button. Yeah. AZ-5, or we call a scram button, the yeah. the failsafe wouldn't work. That was the scariest part about the whole thing, about how it was theorized that that, that essentially would not work in this circumstance. And, and even and, when when uh, people knew about that, they didn't incur the cost. Well, and,
0: and then the explanation that the failsafe button was actually a detonator, and it's the mm-hmm. failsafe that uh, caused it to explode. So we get this essentially – heroic testimony, but it of course is immediately explained to Legasov, there's nothing heroic about what you did. It's going to be stricken from the record. All of your accomplishments are going to be given to lesser men. And basically, no, I'm not going to kill you, but uh, you're going to to be nothing.
1: It it was an incredible scene. So first of all, if you remember, and and I think we saw this detail when he was brought to the the prison where Komiyak was yeah. a few episodes ago, and there were rooms with with drains, yeah, in the middle. That's for when they wash down the blood and and other yeah. things like that. And he was brought to a room with a drain, yeah. So I'm sure he he was looking down on it in the room, not knowing where he what what his next few minutes or hours would be like. But just that speech from the assistant director of the KGB was so amazing, essentially saying, we're going to kill you with indifference, and it's going to be doubly killing you because we already know you're going to die. That was uh, a cruel cut and very powerful.
0: And uh, Juliana, I guess it just reinforces, as we were saying, the first thing we see him do in the first episode is the way for him to have... Not even a legacy from an ego standpoint, but for what he did to matter, he, he records the tapes and then he kills himself. Uh, what did you think about sort of the realization that that was going to really be the only way out for him?
2: Um, it was very shocking. I mean, obviously, the, that's the first thing we see. So yeah. that's the first shock feeling you feel. But to have gone all this way and now understand the full – extent of why and how everything panned out and how it happened. Um, It's kind of a sad... I mean, that's a sad way to go, just to not be remembered and just have nobody pay attention to you, nobody associate with you. Um, And for him to feel like that's his only way out, is to record, here's my truth, and now I'm leaving.
0: Yeah.
1: I think he might have thought it was maybe not the way out, it was the way to... To bring immediacy to his words, it was the combination, the his work on the actual emergency, his testimony, uh, his tapes, and his suicide to ultimately right.
0: drive the point. So
2: it was out. maybe like his sacrifice.
0: Yeah, and uh, I mean to and, really set it in. And let's uh, take a moment here to talk about sort of the the little postscript, as uh, Jeremy referred to the the Animal <laughs> House portion, which oh. is is the <laughs> here's what happened to everybody, you know. And of course, this being a true story, it is very interesting. You see, you know, one of the things we find out is Sherbina lived uh, just a, a few more years. I guess three more years. He died in 1990. Uh, so you get the impression. That the gossip would not have lived much longer. You know, we, he kills himself in 1988. So, you know, he probably didn't have that much longer after that just because of the exposure. Uh, and just fascinating things like the fact that to this day the firefighters' clothes are still there in the basement of the hospital. And you see sort of present day someone in protective the read- gear. they reading and it's like still radioactive. And so I wonder if
1: that was the... The screen. I wonder if that was Mazin doing that because he has visited it. I wonder if he took his own.
0: Oh, the the series creator Craig Mazin. Yeah, yeah I, I mean that that would actually uh, make sense. Uh, just the fascinating thing that uh, Ludmilla had been told that uh, she would never have a child, and then they mention that they were wrong, and she lives with her son in Kiev. Now, the implication there is that you know the the son lived and is an adult and. You know, uh, or at least, yeah, at this point, you know, late teens, who knows exactly when she had a kid. But uh, were you surprised, Juliana, by that revelation? That was the one that really stood out for me because most of the other ones are like, yeah, most of these people died and here's a couple who didn't. But that was like, oh, my God, she had a kid. Mm. You know, uh, what did you think about uh, – Not specifically that one, but uh, that one or any of the others that we saw at the end there.
2: Yeah, I I was surprised about her because they said her first baby died because it absorbed all the radiation that she would have otherwise absorbed. So it makes me wonder how much she really retained in her body and that kid that she had, you know, what are the effects on his genetics and whatnot. Yeah. Or if the baby just ended up absorbing so much of it that she's pretty much more okay than not.
0: And uh, Jeremy, for me, we talked about this before the show, is the fact that all three of those divers, it was widely assumed that they died, but actually all three of them lived. Uh, one of them died a little bit more recently, but two of them to this day in 2019, two of them are still alive. That's fascinating to me because of anybody who, I mean, they were, you know, what, like up to their necks in it a, a few times. And they spent a lot of time in there. Uh, mm-hmm. That surprised me more than anything in, in the postscript. I, I don't know about you.
1: That was amazing. Uh, supposedly, radiation exposure is predictable. You know, there's the formula, which is the strength of the radiation sh- source, your distance, and your time exposed. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like that time exposed would have been something that would be fatal for them. But, I, I mean, I yeah. guess parts of it are, are unpredictable. Dyatlov, uh, in spite of all the people he, he sent to their deaths, I mean, he was someone throwing up on the night of... Yeah. The event, I thought that was showing he might have gotten a fatal dose. I I, I happen to know he survived to the trial and survived for a while longer, but... Imagine that, that so- someone who was amazingly exposed still still survived it, the divers. So it seems like there was certainly an element to, to chance in all of this.
0: Yeah. Um, we only have a couple of minutes, but uh, I'm going to probably take a couple extra, Steph, in the booth. But uh, there we always do a, a segment called uh, Behind the Numbers uh, here on the show. And there's only one number that I want to talk about, and we've referenced it already on this show. But it's the last thing that they say on the show, so it's worth uh, on the actual series – it's worth mentioning again they talk about the you know how difficult it is to predict and, and accurately portray the the number of dead from Chernobyl but the one number that's it's just very jarring uh Julana tell me what you think that the Soviet official count to this day and I know there's not a Soviet Union but the official count is still 31 the, the two people who died instantly and 29 other people who were exposed there basically that night. And so their official story is that like, yeah, but then that then it was fine because uh, we put the fire out uh, that in spite of all of this, in spite of this whole series, they still say just 31 people. What did you think about that number?
2: I mean, that's just so crazy and unbelievable that you kind of just scoff at it like, Ugh. well, at this point, it's like, of course, I'm not surprised anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean,
0: it I, yeah, I, 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 I'm not surprised, uh, uh, of course, but it, it's, it made it no less shocking for me. <laughs>
1: we know they, they destroyed, they killed tens of thousands of animals. Yeah. We know they had Oof. over 600,000 people committed to the cleanup of various types, what they called liquidators. Yeah. We know they had nearly 4,000 people that had to go onto the deadliest part of this plant, the roof with the great, uh, irradiated graphite and other materials uh the the life expectancy was dramatically shortened for every one of them uh and 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 hundreds of thousands and more likely millions of people in Belarus and the Ukraine had effects and were fearful throughout their entire lives i have a friend that posted on uh, facebook today about how this was a very difficult show for her to think about watching because she knows in her childhood of the fear that everyone had for many years of the way it was going to affect
0: them and that's one of the things that they tell us is that just the i don't remember the the number but just the increase in uh, uh cases of cancer and that the majority of them were children you know just because they're obviously the the, the most defenseless and um yeah and and so then you contrast that with the 31 and all you can do is throw your hands up in the air and you know say like well maybe maybe it's good that there's not a centralized government like the uh, Soviet Union Well
1: the, a part of that might be the fact that they There are very few programs to compensate the liquidators and the people that that did the things to uh, evacuate, they did the things to clean up. Uh, I I talked about Estonia has a small program that's just a few hundred dollars per year. So Many of the other republics don't have any program set up for the people who are veterans of doing that work.
0: Well, having statistics is admitting failure, and even though the Soviet Union, as an entity, clearly was a failure because it's not around anymore, they still don't want to own up to that. And uh, you know that that's why I think we get that. So why we're taking these extra minutes here is just because uh, I wanted to kind of look back on the show as a whole and just sort of any interesting, you know, just conversation about the fact that you know you still can't go to uh, to where this is. You can't go to the Chernobyl reactor. I think you can get close to it and I think people have. I don't understand why anyone would go anywhere near there, uh, but uh, I, I, that's my understanding is that you can and, of course, the uh, the plant itself, we've seen it's uh, basically in the concrete sarcophagus. Uh, but what are some of the other things you wanted to make sure that we addressed uh, before we uh, wrap up the series, Jeremy?
1: A oh, I- a mantra of this talks about lies and the truth, and it resonates in today's society. And it it makes you realize that as we think about government and all the complaints people have, if you think about the elements of governance, government, effectiveness, efficiency, transparency, and accountability. So many people complain about the effectiveness. It's not getting anything done. The efficiency they're spending too much, but it makes you realize the transparency and accountability Ultimately, that's the only thing that's going to lead to really the first two at all. So it, it, those two might be the most important in our society. and We should fight for those at every juncture where we can.
0: Yeah. Um, I, for me, just looking back on the series as a whole, I mean, I yeah, as it's gone along, people who haven't been watching it or been meaning to watch it, I, I tell them the same thing, that – it is the opposite of fun, but it is an amazingly well-told story with just amazing performances. It's important. I thought, yeah, I thought it, it was very wonderfully cast. It was, it was, uh, you know, just incredibly written, uh, and it's, you know, it, it, it really. It really came to a head last week for me when uh, I, I tried to at least be lighthearted about the fact that we got to see the two worst jobs that uh, anyone on television has ever had, which is, you know, the, the canine duty and sweeping the roof. But uh, just on the whole, Julana, uh, when we talked on our first show, our first after show here, you didn't know much about this incident. So having seen these five episodes, what do you think now from these basically these five hours that you've spent uh, in this world?
2: Um I feel a lot more educated especially a lot on the ideology of the Soviet Union and just to see throughout the five episodes how much they go into covering things up and telling lies just to keep this um seemingly perfect you know idea of of their country and I just feel like it was really eye-opening for me, like you said, not knowing that much about it. Like pretty much when I started watching, I only was familiar with the name of the accident. Sure. And that was about it. Um, so so really interesting. And then also interesting to know just now in present day that, like you said, there were still three reactors operating there at the time. And just, you know, I feel a lot more aware about things like this now.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there are uh, nuclear reactors in this country as well, you right. know, and uh, not as many as there could have been or as there once were. But uh, not too far from where I grew up in New York State is one called High Point. And it was it was just sort of always there. And uh, maybe that's why I knew much about this. But after Three Mile Island and Chernobyl, you were very aware of just nuclear energy. The which, United
1: States still gets approximately 20 percent of its power yeah. from nuclear power.
0: Plants. And countries like France get a lot more mm-hmm. of it. So there is always the argument that it can be it can be safe, but you can't cut corners. I think if you can learn anything from this series, you have to spend the money. It's to a make very sure.
1: interesting debate in our time when it's safe. <laughs> yeah, and a big sure. If, it's uh, essentially the most environmentally friendly you could in some measurements. Yeah. Uh, and when it goes wrong or when you don't dispose of the waste in the right way, it is by far the worst. Yeah.
0: Uh, Jeremy, like me, you were definitely familiar with the story uh, heading into this, and I, I think I knew some of the big things. I, I, it turned out that I didn't know anywhere near as much as about this as I thought I did, you know. And it was just fascinating to watch it all unfold. I, I knew the big bullet points for the the incident as a whole and the the fact that there was the cover up, but I, I didn't know most of this, and it was fascinating to me to watch so you fill in all these yeah. blanks.
1: The thing that stood out the most to me was kind of in the middle of the series when Jared Harris Lagasov went through. What the toll might be in terms of the tremendous evacuations and the fact that an area that, that today has, I think, over a, uh, maybe even t- approximately 200 million people would essentially have to be evacuated. An area uh, about the size of uh, the United States west of the Rockies would be yeah. uninhabitable for thousands of years. So that was well beyond what I ever thought it was going to be.
0: Well, we do hope that, uh, you know, not an enjoyable series, but uh, very well done. And uh, I don't know. I think it was important. uh, But we hope you enjoyed our conversation with it whenever you're watching this. Please feel free to jump in and comment in the archive version on YouTube or on iTunes. Uh, You can find me. I'm Christian Blatt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. Uh, Julana, where do people find you?
2: You guys can find me right here on Tuesdays at 8 p.m. I do the Songland After Show. And also you can keep up with me on Instagram at Julana.
0: And Jeremy,
1: where do people find out more about you? Just find me at local coffee shops here. Tell your friends to watch the show. It's the highest rated show in the history of IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes rating things. It's
0: important for a lot of people to watch. Get them involved. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, well, we'll uh, see you around. Thanks, everyone.